listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode 234, May 1st Friday Q&A. How's it going, Mark? I'm doing great. More importantly, how are you doing? I'm alive. (laughs) So uh, we had a lot of people check in to make sure you were okay. I got recipes, Mark. People (laughs) sent me recipes to help me feel better. So I greatly appreciate that. And a big thank you to uh, Russell Stewart for stepping in and filling in for you. We don't like to have different hosts move around too much, but when somebody's sick, it's kind of cool to have somebody else come fill in. And he did really good. We got some good feedback on him. Oh, great. I can't wait to listen. I haven't had a chance yet. All right. And then speaking of stuff, we didn't get a review, which is rare for us. Not bragging or anything. It just seems strange that we don't have a review. So people, if you want a big shout out, leave us a review. If you love what we're doing, we love those five-star reviews. And if you'd like to see something change, you can give us a three-star review and just let us know what you'd like to see us change. But like Paige said, this is the first Friday Q&A. This is where we help educate our audience by questions that you submit. So uh, let's get into it, Paige. Who's our first question from? Of course, it's Ludwig. Hey, Ludwig. <laughs> what will kerosene price be in 6, 12, and 24 months and why? This is actually a really good question because a lot of people may not know this. When I think of kerosene, I think of what my grandparents' grandparents used for lighting, right? It was mm-hmm. an oil. It was put in a lamp. We are both from South Louisiana. Oh, I remember having glass oil lamps. Yeah, because of hurricanes, right? right? It was your backup for light in case we lost electricity because of hurricane. And the reason it's still used as a backup is so it's so reliable. Uh, kerosene is relatively inexpensive, but here's something a lot of people don't know. Kerosene is either jet fuel or a component of jet fuel. And kerosene is either rocket fuel or a component of rocket fuel. You know, SpaceX just broke some records literally last week. And the power, the fuel to power their SpaceX rockets is kerosene and liquid oxygen. And then their next generation of rocket engines is going to be methane, and which is natural gas and liquid oxygen. But to answer Luthwick's question, it's interesting. Because the refineries around the world quit producing kerosene slash jet fuel, the supply is relatively low, so prices are starting to go up. Now, when people are starting to fly, which is happening right now, the demands could go up, so the the producers, refiners could produce more of it. But Paige, they have a choice. They have a choice between producing kerosene for, for the world's consumption in lamps and stoves and everything. So it's really interesting. So right now, kerosene's going for about 77 cents per liter. However, that price will go up rather quickly because the the manufacturers have a choice between selling it for 77 cents per liter for kerosene lamps and everything or sell it for $1.19 for jet fuel. So guess what they're going to do? And what's that? They're going to sell it for $1.19 yeah. instead of 77 <laughs> cents. So Ludwig, to answer your question, unfortunately, if you're using kerosene for heating or lighting or something, you're going to see prices start going up, but that's because the refiners have determined that they would rather make a little bit more money using that kerosene for jet fuel. Once that levels out, and I suspect that won't be until the world gets back to normal, which will be, say, first or second quarter of 2022, you'll see a bit of an oversupply. You'll see the price of kerosene drop, dip down below that $0.77 cents per liter. And then at some point, mid-2022, it's going to level back off to what it should be, which is around... 80 90 cents per liter so that's that's what the kerosene markets will look like in the future and people do not make investment decisions on my take on the kerosene market 
<laughs> All right. So the next question is from Kayla Rogers, which is a student. Hi there. I'm a communication student doing research for oil and gas companies, and I was wondering what it takes to be a guest on your podcast. Thanks so much for your time. You want to answer that one? Well, yeah. You can reach out to either Mark or myself, and we'll just we'll send you to whichever podcast is applicable. Obviously, we have prerequisites for what you know we want for each show. But I mean, if you want to get on oil and gas industry leaders, then you know. 10 plus in the industry as far as experience goes and you've got to be in c-suite yeah and so each show is different even though we own all the shows we the hosts have complete control so the hosts make the decision of who comes on their show or not so the easiest thing if you have somebody you want to put on our shows is send an email or use the web form include the linkedin link for the person or persons that you want on the show so we can see their background and then go to OGGN.com podcast, see all our different shows and let us know the name of the show you'd like the person or the company to be on. We will then forward that information to the right host and they will make the decision. Now we'll tell you this much for all of our shows, except for the pitch podcast, it's about having good, interesting, valuable stories. It's not about you trying to sell what your company does right now. The pitch podcast is the exact opposite. We encourage you to pitch your product or service on that show. So for all the other shows, we're looking for good, interesting, valuable stories that help educate our audiences, but you're not allowed to sell anything. We'll let you mention your company and, and what you're doing. Yeah, we'll let you do some plugs or some yeah, stuff. But, but like, if you really want to pitch your product or service, you need to check out the pitch podcast. That's oh, one. and we don't have guests on this show, if that's what you're Oh, that's another thing, too. Only yeah. Guests This Week does not have guests. So for everybody that reaches out to me, every day about wanting to get their president on oil and gas this yeah. week. We do not do interviews on the show. Yep. All right. So the next one's from John Hunt, business intelligence at Chevron. What's up, Paige and Mark? Big fan of you two and your podcast. Thank you. Mark, what do you think the rest of 21, 2021 has in store for our industry? Paige, I hope you're feeling better. Keep killing it, guys. Thanks. That was sweet. I hope you're feeling better. So, John, man, the, what's going on the rest of this year in our industry? So a few things. I think in the beginning of this year, when I did my predictions for 2021, I misread the data and I thought the recovery is not going to really happen until 2022. I'm wrong. It's happening now. I think we're going to see a huge surge in activity in July and August of this year. I suspect that it's going to really hit the fan. I don't think you're going to be able to hire people. I don't think you're going to be able to buy steel, lumber, concrete. Well, it's hard trucks. to buy lumber as it yeah. is. And so there's going to be this boom that's going to happen. And everybody's going to come back. Everybody's going to go back in production. The pipelines are going to start flowing again. The refineries are going to start making refined goods. But prices are going to go up. Prices for crudes go up. Prices for natural gas go up. Prices for labor is going to go up. Prices for Ford F-150 Raptors could go up. Yeah. You know, everything. And so you need to get ahead of that. If you're in the industry and part of what you do is any type of repair or construction or maintenance and you need raw materials, you need to be stockpiling those now. If you're a service company, you depend on field techs, you better be hiring them today. Because I'm telling you, come July, you're not going to be able to hire them. So I think the industry is going to come back with a boom. What I'm hoping is that it's not too big a boom. we got to keep crude prices at $80 and below. If not, the U.S. will overproduce, and then we'll be right back to where we were you know, last year at you know, $20 a barrel. But I think there's a boom coming for the rest of this year. The other thing I think is going to happen is I'm already seeing the signs of the companies that are – taking a piece of their CapEx and investing in renewables, I'm already seeing that starting to weaken a little bit. I know this is very early, and please, people, this isn't any bash on renewables. This is strictly business. And so I think you could see less CapEx being pushed into the renewables 
business by the large oil and gas companies the end of this year and the beginning of next year. Not that not that they could quit doing it, but they need to make money. They need to be profitable at it. The other thing is skilled labor. It is literally you can't you, nobody in the U.S. right now can hire a welder, and and that's just going to be exasperated by the turnarounds that are happening right now. So in some ways, it's awesome what I think is coming from our industry. There's going to be money. There's going to be jobs. It's going to be frantic pace, and in other ways, it's not going to be that great. You know, we're still struggling with COVID. The rest of the world struggling with COVID. If India doesn't get a handle on it, that's going to put a little bit of a slowdown in the recovery. So I think it's good. Our industry is hopeful. It's not so much that we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Light's literally three feet from our face. We just have to make sure we don't get burned rushing out the tunnel. All right. So the next one is from Gary Albelli, Managing Director of Apollo Global. Love everything you're doing and find your podcast extremely useful and staying up to date in this complex industry. I don't want to misquote you, but I believe on a previous episode, you talked about how you would not take on a capital investment for equity. Can you elaborate a little on this? You want to answer that? No, I don't have <laughs> so, an answer for that. Yeah, you do. <laughs> no, so, so Gary, we've grown a lot in the whatever seven years that we've been around. And one of the things I was very proud of a very long time ago is we had a company that looked at trying to acquire us. And I sat down with my core team. And at that time, Paige was part of the core team. And I still am, Mark. You still are. No, no. And everybody said, no, that we're not in this to make a dollar. We're in this to make a difference. Yeah. Since then, we've grown dramatically. And I get reached out to probably on a weekly basis by somebody that wants to invest money, that wants an equity stake in what we're doing. And the first thing is we don't need the money. Now, I'm not saying if you gave me money for free that I wouldn't take it, right? Because that would help us grow. But we just literally don't need the money. We're bootstrapping this. We're pa- Actually, we're past the bootstrap. We're not a startup anymore. We're a small business. We've been a small business for a couple of years. The other thing is I don't want anybody to control what we're doing. When right. You, when somebody takes an equity stake, rightfully so, they have some control over your business. And it's hard enough for us, and we are experts. I at, don't deal well with authority. <laughs> well, it's hard <laughs> enough for us right now. We are literally experts at the commercial podcast world, right? We're one of the few companies out there making money at this. All of my podcasters are professional podcasters. They get paid. Most of the other podcasters out there, and I love y'all all to death, but you're, you're amateurs. You're not being paid to do it. And so I don't want somebody stepping in that doesn't understand our, our industry. And we have trouble understanding our industry because it's so niched. And then finally, we have some big plans. And I know this sounds kind of pie in the sky, but I'm being very serious from my heart. We're making a difference and we're continuing to make a difference. And when you're trying to change the public's opinion about the oil and gas industry, sometimes that means you don't make as much profit as you could, or sometimes it means you don't make profit at all. You may even lose some money. And right now that's under our control. If we decide that it makes sense for us to get our message out and not make a profit, we're going to do it because getting that message out is very important to us. And I'm worried that if we took an equity stake, it would be all business and people would be worried just about profit. We, would, not, we would seem like we've sold out. Yeah. And that's not who we are. No. So appreciate the reach out, Gary. You know, like I said, we, we just, we don't need it. We don't want it. We're, we're good. I do take it as a compliment. So I want to, I had a, it's not that long ago, I was taking Ethan to driving school and I actually had an Australian company reach out to me, literally called me. I answered the phone and they tried to close me while I was taking Ethan to driving school. And I just thought that was cool that in another country, People that we've never met see what we're doing and say, hey, we want to invest money because we, sh- we think that it's a promising investment. You know, I mean, that's a compliment. Yeah. So for everybody that reaches out to us, thank you. We just we just don't want it. We don't need it. All right. So the next question is from Shannon Dorsey. She's a well engineer at Shell. <laughs> Paige, you look amazing in your new show artwork. I love your mix of confidence and girly power. <laughs> that's that. awesome. Question for you. What's going on with drilling permits in the Gulf of Mexico? 
And are the break-evens going up or down? Please keep up the awesome work, you two, and keep turning it to the right. So, I mean, just this year, I guess since April 30th, we've had 29 permit new new drill permits, whether it be sidetrack, bypass, you know, revised, whatever. So, I mean, they're approving them. Bessie's approving them. That's awesome. So that's great. We're, in comparison to last year, 44 in that same amount of time. So we're down like 15 permits. So... Hopefully. But that's on top of the Biden administration putting a temporary pause on issuing new permits. Well, right. So they're still, they're approving them. So they're just, I think that was meant to evaluate and just look to make sure they're, you know, we don't have another Macondo type situation. Well, the cool thing about them approving it means that the operators are asking for permits, which means the operators want to drill, which means there's jobs coming. Right, right. That means there's rigs in the water. Yeah. So as far as the other part the break evens average break break evens for the deep water gom has dropped substantially in the recent years to about 47 barrels in 2020 from 68 and 27 dollars per barrel yeah that's incredible we're below 65 dollars a barrel and is that deep water did you say deep water? yeah 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 that's just whoa water. not much above u.s shells 43 so that delta between the shell break even and the deep water break even is shrinking. That's incredible. Yeah. Because there's a big difference in, in in project size and budget to drill. Now, the thing with shells is it's unconventional to have a quick decline versus deep water's conventional reservoirs. So, But still, that's that's awesome. I do think it's cute. Did you read her email address? <laughs> yeah, I did. She likes Harry Potter. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> so she and I should be friends. <laughs> that's just cute. All right, let's go to the next one. All right, so the next one's Jackson Fontenot, director of projects at Halliburton. Why does it seem that my company is the only OFS that is not on an OGG, not an OGGN sponsor? Let me need, <laughs> let me know if you need some help fixing that. Oh yeah, y'all should do a crawfish bowl as your next live event. Just saying. Well, that's really funny because I think we're launching something in a few weeks. By Halliburton Labs. Yeah. So, Jackson, first thing, you have to be a Kuyon with the last name Fontenot. <laughs> and if you don't know what a Kuyon is, ask it's your crazy. people from Louisiana. Anyway, with the last name Fontenot and asking us to do crawfish, I'm just making an educated guess. Hey, tomorrow's Mother's Day. I'm having crawfish. I totally agree with this. I'm on board with that. But the other thing, Jackson, is yes, uh, Halliburton is a sponsor of ours. It's been kind of kept under the wraps a little bit. It's your new division, Halliburton Labs. Big shout out to Scott, who's running that, Scott and Dale, who's run that adventure for Halliburton. That show is going to be Energy Scale-Ups. It's one of our first new shows that are not oil and gas focused, but are energy focused. And it's about companies that are past the startup stage. So it's not startup show, but they're scale-ups. So they've, they have revenue, they have clients, they still need help to grow. And that actually, I think, is launching around the 20th? Of uh, 21st, I believe. 21st of this month. So If, if everything goes correctly. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. So Jackson, just stay tuned. That's going to be a really good show. Big shout out to Jose. I know our production team is frantically getting everything done behind the scenes to make sure we launch that show. Yes, we are. On time, on budget. But I do appreciate you saying that, that you know, you're the only awful service company that's not an OG and sponsor. We've we've just about got all of you, all of our service companies <laughs> out there. I have to make a list of who's left. But anyway, so it's coming. And as far as the crawfish boil, I like the idea. I, I mean, it's kind of late in the year for us to plan. Well, maybe next year we'll plan. A, yeah, it's about on. it's already getting too hot for that mess. Or for the true Cajuns out there, maybe we'll catch the, the winter season and actually Ooh. do, you know, the crawfish are smaller than, but they're cheaper. Oh, that might be the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, Jackson, just, just pay attention. I love the idea of doing a crawfish boil. If, when we decide to do one, it'll be all over social. So as long as you're paying attention to what we're going on in, in our social, you'll know way, about it way ahead of time. All right. So the next one is from Cassie McCabe, project accountant at OnBridge. By I think it's Enbridge. Enbridge. I'm sorry. I don't have a coon-ass <laughs> accent like you do, dude. By far, this is the best oil and gas podcast ever. You two have a major fan club in Calgary. I love Calgary. We have some funny Calgary stories. Oh, yes, yes. We cannot share those on here. But anyway, my question is simple. Why does our industry just sit around and let all of our haters do and say whatever they want? No facts, no understanding of science, no common sense. Well, I mean, come on. And quite frankly, often just hate and ignorance. We could easily fight back. We have science, the engineers, the budget, the global need for what we produce. I just don't understand. I feel your frustration, Cassie. Yeah, Cassie, we all feel your frustration. It's a cultural thing, and no hate mail on this either. It's a culture thing driven by years and years and years of this industry being run by engineers. So when I got in this industry 25-ish years ago, we had hate. Yeah, shut up. We had haters, but- we didn't really pay much attention. So anytime somebody in public said something about our industry that was negative, whether it was on purpose or unintentional because they were ill-informed, we didn't stop what we're doing and correct them. And that has been on for the last 25 years. And then say 10 or 15 years ago, once social media comes in, now one person can have the ears of thousands. I mean, I have 14, 15,000 people follow me on Twitter. And so what happens when you have that amplification, now people are, instead of doing their own research, are believing what they hear in online, so news, social media, whatever. And if they believe that we're destroying the planet and they have other people that believe the same way, they bond together and it supports their beliefs. And as an industry, really six or seven years ago, I tried really hard to get as get our industry together to go, look, this is a problem that's coming at us that we need to take on head on. But we don't need to take it on by fighting against them because all that does is make people dig their toes in, right? When you get in a disagreement with somebody and if they don't listen to you, it makes you stick to your beliefs even harder. And that's what we don't need. What we need is education. And now it's gotten to the point where geopolitically, you know, a lot of the world thinks we're destroying the planet and we're not. And as an industry, we need to own the fact that we failed. We failed to educate people years ago when we should have. As an industry, we failed to understand the impact of social media. As an industry, we have failed to show the world that we're one of the best things that's ever happened to mankind. And we're trying to fix that. That's that's our charter here at OGGN. I mean, we have a bunch of different shows, but our driving you know, core is we're helping to educate the public about the truth about the oil and gas industry, not politics, not opinions. And we're at the point now, unfortunately, Cassidy, we can't fight back. If we fight back, the first thing that's to come out of everybody's mouth is big oil is trying to suppress the truth. And it's, it's just a gonna, whole narrative. Yeah, it's just going to bite us in the butt. What we have to do is take money and resources and time and people and take that and go back to the streets and have a grassroots movement where, you know, Cassie, I don't know where you live in the world, but, you know, you work for Enbridge, you work for a pipeline company. You know, you need to be talking and I'm not picking on you, Cassie, but your company needs to be okay and actually encourage you and your peers to go out and talk to your neighbors about the advantages of pipelines, how it's the safest, most inexpensive way to move anything around, not just hydrocarbons, but water, sewage you know, cooking oil, you know, your company needs to say, okay, we're going to stop contributing money to all our industry organizations that just make these theatrical videos that look like Hollywood movies and play them during major sporting events. That does nothing. They need to actually write school books for school kids and get them in the schools and read to the school kids, you know? And so this isn't something we're going to solve overnight. 
the fight that we're in, the battle we're in, is in a battle for minds. And what we don't want is to come across as aggressive or, like I said, as big oil because that's it's just going to hurt us. And we're working on it. You know, we launched our Only Gas Elevate show. A big shout out to Sean and Eric. That's our ESG show. That's a show telling the truth about the good stuff we do as an industry. And it's going to be a long uphill battle. I'm seeing signs before COVID happened. I'm seeing signs that we kind of hit the negative trough of public perception. So it wasn't going to get any worse. It was going to start getting better. Unfortunately, between the pandemic of 2020 and the U.S. presidential elections, that needle has been moved. So what the worst public perception we can have is now now the bottom's even further away. And unfortunately, we've backtracked. And once again, the way to fix this is not opinions. It's not throwing big dollars at the problem. It's not Hollywood productions. It's literally you, me, talking to our friends, talking to our neighbors, educating our kids about the reality of the situation. And it's just going to take time. This is what we're in for the long run. So Cassie, if you want to help, join the street team. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, we right? We would love to have your help because this is literally our entire company besides all the other stuff we're doing. So our main charter above everything else is to help educate the world about the benefits of hydrocarbons. So we would love to have your help. Yeah, didn't we talk to someone once that said that their company actually took out time to educate them on how to actually talk to the common person that doesn't know any of that it stuff? It was the old Anna Darko. They did a fantastic job with their people in Colorado. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because there were some bills up there and they actually got the the anti-oil and gas legislation voted down. Once again, Anadarko didn't go out and buy stuff, didn't buy you know big ads and and make movies. They just let they gave their people the permission to talk to their neighbors, and that's all it took. You look at National Oil Varco. You know David Reed had a bit of an uphill battle because he wanted to open up their company's firewall to social media, to Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, so that their own people during work hours could talk about what they're doing. And they let him do it, and it's made a difference. Mm -hmm. So big companies out there that are scared because you're worried about perception and you don't want to let your employees say anything unless it's the approved corporate speak, let me tell you, your perception right now in the world sucks. As an industry, our perception sucks. It's not going to get any better. So there's nothing for you to lose. Let your people talk to their neighbors. Free up the the constraints. Let them talk in public. Yeah, they're going to make a mistake or two. Yeah, somebody's going to accidentally have a video of their butt or whatever. But this is 2021. And if we can't (laughs) let our employees talk to people in an honest, open, transparent manner, we're not going to move the needle. We have to let this happen. Right. All right. So the next question is from Mark Johns, Electrical Engineer 2 at Acre. What do you think the long-term impact of COVID-19 will have to the oil and gas industry? Love your show, by the way. Thanks, Mark Johns. I wonder what you have to do to be an electrical engineer three. I have no idea. (laughs) I'm just curious. I wonder if there is a three. Anyway, COVID, very interesting. So last year, 2020, because of the pandemic, caused a lot of our in-person operations to be curtailed or and or shut down. And I saw things happen that I never thought would happen. Actually, this is something that just broke today, but we had a major pipeline, Colonial Pipeline got cyber hacked and it shut down the entire pipeline. Traditionally, control rooms, and whether that's refineries, pipelines, petrochemical plants, were intentionally made where it was impossible to access the control room from outside. There was no internet access. There was no remote access because that was a risk. You had to drive to the plant, badge in, get checked by security, walk into the control room and start doing your job. And that kept everybody safe. 
Well, because of COVID-19, they had to change it almost overnight. People couldn't get there in person. People had to be able to remote in. And so that is actually good. It's causing the adaptation of, of processes and technology that's could drive efficiencies in the industry. And it's causing us to adapt it really quick, literally in a year. Companies had to go from all their people being in cubes in the corporate office, 30-story building, to all of a sudden being able – everybody had to work from home. Control centers had to be able to go where – you know, you had 30 people in the front, front of a bunch of boards in a network operations center. Now they have to be able to do that remotely from home. Same way with field work, right? So you're seeing all this proliferation of tools and techniques and processes that would have taken 20 years. It would have happened, but it would have taken 20 years to get here. Long-term wise, I think one of the things that COVID is going to, and by the way, people don't think this is the one and only pandemic of our lifetime. Now that we've, now that we've understood how this pathogen was spread and we understood that a lot of the ways to combat it was physical. So six foot distancing, being shut down at home, wearing masks. Next time we have something like this happen, we'll see this happen again. But we'll be better prepared for it because this is the first time we went through it in, in modern history, right? But moving forward on the gas, I think you can see a lot more remote operations. I know several. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I know most of the super majors I have conversations with that basically go, why are we paying for all this office space all over the world? We always thought our employees had to be in the office to get good productivity. But after going through 2020, that's not true anymore. So you can see a decline in office space, much more remote operations. And then longer term wise, I think you can see this kind of more free and mobile workforce. So if I'm working remote on blowout preventers, or let's say trees, I'm, I'm doing remote work on trees in the Gulf of Mexico. And I've always went to the office and I've always did it for my employer. Let's say it was Chevron. Well, now I'm working re remote. Why can't I do that same work for other people? Why can't I do it for Exxon or Chevron, right? And right now it's a cultural thing. Exxon would never let somebody that works on the trees at Chevron work on their trees, but that culture is changing. So I think long-term wise, it's going to make us much more fast and nimble workforce. I think it's driven a bunch of really cool technologies that we would have adopted by 2050 without being <laughs> adopted by 2021. Right when we're supposed to be net zero. <laughs> yeah. And so I just, I, I think it's in it, some, some kind of strange way. I think it's actually really good for our industry. And then the decline in global consumption was a wake up call to all the super majors out there that depended on their downstream part of their portfolio to make money when their upstream part of the portfolio wasn't. So now they got to do different things. And you know what? One of those different things easily could be renewables. Yeah. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, I know a whole bunch of people have gotten sick and a whole bunch of people have died. And I don't want to make that sound like that was a good thing. But I think long term wise, the impact of COVID-19 to oil and gas industry is actually positive. All right. So the next question is from Perry Cohen, which sounds really familiar. It does yeah. sound familiar. Senior field tech at Baker Hughes. Been a fan from the be very beginning. Have listened to every single one of your episodes. And back when times were normal, I made it to a few of your happy hours. That's what it is. Person. Yep. Yeah. I, I, that's why I remember it which were always awesome. So I feel like I know you both as strange as that sounds. Anyway, my question, and I would like both of you to answer separately on any given day. If I asked you to empty your pockets or purse, what would you find? Please keep up the great work. Okay. So I've been called Mary Poppins. I have a pretty long list of things that are in my purse. Obviously my phone, my keys, my pepper spray, my tactical flashlight. I have a screwdriver, WD-40, Gooby gone bleach pen, nail, clear nail polish in case, you know, you rip your stockings or something, my wallet, makeup, whatever flavor of lipstick I'm wearing that day, chapstick, a notepad, at least four pens, business cards, pencils. I feel like I'm missing plenty. Shoe polish. So Mark. <laughs> so audience, I will tell you something funny. 
I don't know of any time I needed something a page didn't have in her purse. One oh, a time, fan. Speaking one time of I needed WD-40. She goes, I got that. I go, you got WD-40 purse? She goes, yeah. And sure enough, she had a little micro can of WD-40. Well, no, it's a, it's, it comes in pen form. Yeah. So I, I think I pick, I think I picked that up at the container store because I'm just, yeah. I used to work downtown. So that was like, you know, I'd be gone all day. And if I needed something, I didn't want to have to go buy it. I just Paige is it. always prepared. She took that Boy Scout motto to heart. <laughs> So for me, let's see, let's do it right now. So I have a spring-loaded combat knife I carry with me all the time. I have my keys and then either a Glock 23 or a Glock 43, depending on <laughs> what I'm wearing and what I think the threat level is. Uh, my ear pods, my cell phone. And I say my car keys already, my car keys. That's usually yeah. about everything I carry. I forgot I have a knife too and my <laughs> AirPods. so. Yeah. But the one thing I want to know, what was his name? Perry. Perry. Perry, why do you want to know what we carry around? I would actually love to know the answer to that. You know, it's really funny. I bet he saw me at the happy hour with my big ass purse oh, sitting maybe? next to me or something. And was just like, what in the world is in there? I don't know. Sometimes I have a sweater in there, too, because I get cold easily. But Interesting question, Perry. First time we've ever been asked that. But oh, you know what, though? He's a field tech. Oh. So those guys... Those guys have to be prepared for anything, right? So oh. it's probably, he probably wanted to get a feel for, are we really oil? Like, are we ready, to, you know, and yeah, we're really oil. <laughs> <laughs> when Paige carries WT-40 and a set of micro screwdrivers and a fan in her purse, and I'm carrying a spring action combat knife, pistol, extra ammo, sometimes a flashlight. Oh, and sometimes you've given me those things to put in my purse so you don't have to hold them. So thanks for the back pain. <laughs> All right. So final question is from Karen Lopez, which is an environmentalist. I ran across your podcast while searching for data on fossil fuels industries impact to global warming. And I must say, well done. Even though we disagree on some things, I admire your efforts to stick to the facts and that you come back and always admit when you were wrong or made a mistake. We need more of this type of moral reporting in the media. I couldn't agree more. So here's my question. What can we do to help bridge this large political and social gap between the fossil fuel industry and the renewables industry? And another question, how do both of you have such a perfect radio voices? Is that an editing thing or do you both really sound that great? Half the time I think I sound like a dude because <laughs> that's the voice inside of my head. You don't ever sound like a dude. But this isn't, I haven't been classically trained or anything like that. This is just how I, this is how I sound. It's how I sound, too. Now, I do know that when you edit, they add a little bit of compression to it. And that's our editor just putting a little bit of sparkle on everything. I would actually be interested, Karen, to meet you in person and hearing if I sounded person. Yeah, no way. kidding, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I listen to us. I, I spot check our shows, but still, it's me listening to myself, which is not, you know, there's going to be a bias built in already. Oh, I hate listening to myself. Uh, but, Karen, your bigger question, how do we bridge this gap? It's a great question. So we did a little thing. We did live stream this group called Recon Africa that made a fine in video that was just incredible. And they're, they're drilling right now. And there's a whole bunch of opposition in the world because they're in Africa and the opposition is saying you're destroying wildlife, you're destroying the environment. And Sean McCoy is actually putting together a clubhouse room where we'll get these environmentalists in the same room as Recon Africa. And we're going to have a very civil discussion. And they're in the process of setting that up. The whole reason I bring that up, Karen, it was really interesting to watch the conversation happen as these two groups who are politically and culturally opposed to each other start talking about coming together. And one of the big things that on the anti-development side was you're destroying wildlife. 
Now, here's what's interesting. So Recon Africa people came back with the people that live in the villages, and they go, there are no, there's no wildlife anymore. The reason there's no wildlife is the people have to poach to make a living. So the, the people that live there, the natives that live there, are killing their own wildlife and selling it on the global meat market so they can make money. Yeah. So there's no wildlife left. Guess what happens when Recon Africa starts drilling and hiring them? They don't have to poach to make money to feed their families. Now the wildlife's could come back. There's a very simple thing that even I wouldn't have thought of, I wouldn't have heard the story, that shows you how both sides agree on the same thing, but they just had to have the conversation and understand the reality of the situation. Their environmentalist side just naturally assumed that because they were in Africa, it was full of wild game. Not understanding that for the last 50 years, there's been no employment in this part of Africa, and the local people kill the wildlife and sell on the meat market. So they decimated the wildlife. On the other side, you know, the, one of the first things that the Recon Africa guys did when they, they went to go drill out there, they drilled water wells. So now these villagers are able to farm. They've not been able to farm because there's been no fresh water to farm their fields, right? So it's little things like that. So I think that if we can get together, both sides, and just have a civil conversation about the reality of the situation, doesn't mean we have to agree on anything. It doesn't mean that the environmentalists have to agree that Recon Africa pulling hydrocarbons out the ground is good for everybody. But they do need to agree on what's the actual what really happened in the fact that now that these villagers can grow food to feed themselves, these villagers don't have to kill the local wildlife to sell on the meat market. And now they have jobs and not only jobs, good paying jobs. Right. Which means there's going to be schools and roads and hospitals. Prosperity. Prosperity. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is just getting us to talk. In fact, I think it's so important that we may do something similar I'm working on it now, but we may do something where where we bring people to the table who normally wouldn't be on any of our shows, who don't agree with what we're doing, and we're just going to have a conversation. And we're not going to let it deteriorate to mud throwing and name calling and all of that. We're just going to have intelligent, adult, common sense conversations. And I, I think that's the beginning. If we can do that, I think we can overcome this you know, as human beings and work together. I mean- I am an environmentalist. I literally, <laughs> literally yeah. am. I have a degree in wildlife management. I love, I love the world, but I understand how it works. I just think that's for the first thing is is our ability to stop, stop looking at the other side as the enemy, and look at the other side as a difference of opinion, and let's have a discussion, adult discussion, and see what we have in common. Yes, we're gonna have differences, but I bet we have way more in common than than most people think we do. Oh yeah, no, I will definitely agree with that. All right. So, Karen, thank you for that question. That was an interesting one. I don't think we've ever had anybody that can remember, at least recently, that was not pro oil and gas right in a question. I'd like more of that. Yeah, that'd be great. I don't mind answering the hard questions. Anyway, speaking of stuff that's not hard, this whole IBM shirt giveaway, people, you need to go register. We're getting ready to do something really cool with IBM. You're going to get an invitation if you've even just registered for the shirt. And if you win a shirt, you get something extra. Once a week, go register. If you don't win, you can register every week. The link's in the show note. And the shirts are really cool, and they're instantly collectible. And then weekly rig count, where are we, Paige? All right. So in the United States, we're at 148, so we're up eight. Canada, 55, up four. Internationally, down 20 at 695. So all good stuff. Yeah. Speaking of all good stuff, you know the deal with LinkedIn. Just go search for OGGN, join our page, our group, and most importantly, join the street team. They are killing over there. Actually, it's funny, Paige. I actually had the leader of our thought leadership committee 
reach out to us and say, I want to meet with you. And it's to me, you know, watching the street team is something that was just an idea in my head, something I'm, I didn't handle right for two or three years to actually watch it come together where now they're pinging me, want me to come to their meeting and talk. Oh, you awesome. weren't the only one pinged. I was pinged too. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I'm helping a lot with that. So. So, so the street team is our all volunteer group and we now have different segments. So what we hope you do is join and give us an hour's worth of free labor a month. And if you can't do it because of life or kids or jobs, we're totally cool with that. But if you just want to join and hang out, you can do that as well. We now have a, a different component where you don't even have to do anything with us. And it's all around helping us move things forward. A lot of it is helping us with our social media. But as things get back to normal, and if we're in your local geographic area for a conference or event, you can join as part of our press team, which is like really cool to walk around with a press pass around your neck. We're going to need help with other things. we got live events. We're getting ready to pick up our first happy hour here in Houston, go trying to get back to normal. If that's God, I can't ex- wait. Can't yeah, wait. Yeah. I'm if so that's excited. successful, we're rolling back out to where our footprint was before, which is Midland, Pittsburgh, Denver, Calgary, Bayer, San Francisco, blah, blah, blah. We have to recover. So it's going to take us a little while to get there. Which, by the way, if your company is interested in sponsoring one of our happy hours here in Houston, reach out to me. One of our sponsors is Hewitt Packard, actually, I think bought four of them. <laughs> Already? Which means there's only eight <laughs> left for the year. So if you're interested in doing that, let me know. It's a blast. It's a great return on your investment. But anyway, go to LinkedIn, join everything you can has OGG in it. And then if you're interested in our monthly all gas events newsletters, where we take all the events and put them in your inbox once a month for free, the link's in the show notes as well. Go ahead and sign up there. And then I've been speaking. I've been speaking in person, which is great. Other than I have to put real clothes on. You know, are they tight? Are your clothes you know, tight? No, they're, no, like I can't breathe. Yeah, I got to lose some weight. I have to wear dresses, man. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, Michael Sullivan and I have a speaking gig coming up, I think, next month sometime. But is it in June? It's in June, yeah. But we have a bunch of stuff picking up. So if you'd like myself or any of our experts to come to your event, or if you'd like us to bring a podcast to your event, which is always a big hit, reach out and let us know. We can stay 100% COVID compliant. And like I said, things are opening up. So it's just getting more and more fun to actually get out in the real world. And then first Friday Q&A, you just listen to that. That's where we answer the questions submitted by our audience. Remember, the goal is not to stump Paige and I. It's all about educating our audience. We actually had some good questions, I thought, yeah, this time. Yeah, really enjoyed it. So that's it, Paige. You ready to get out of here? Yes. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Here's Savannah with Events on Deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for May 2021. This month, we have four events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our online events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our in-person event, which is the 20 YPO's Networking Mixer at the Houston Club on May 25th. Next, we have our three online events, the Post-Industrial Summit Series from May 4th to June 22nd, the Data Fabric and Data Ops webinar on May 5th, and the Maritime Career Day hosted by Women Offshore on May 21st. Other than these events, OGGN has a live stream this month titled Identifying and Evaluating Advantage Oil Projects on May 5th. So make sure to check that out on our Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com for more information. You can also find more information about that or any of the live streams or events we have coming up also on Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for May. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.